Amen. You have your Bibles, a Bible app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 21 is today's text. We're now on part 15 and the last part of this series, Church Life. Say Church Life. How many of you enjoyed it? Amen. So we're going to conclude this series today and then we're going to start a new series out of 2 Timothy that I'm uh, calling Last Words. So don't miss next Sunday as we start that new series. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 17-21. But before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 11-16. through 16. I gave you five points, and the first point was flee, say flee, and that's verse 11a, and what to flee from, because Paul calls Timothy a man of God to remind him of his responsibility to the church. So Paul tells Timothy, flee from all this. Well, what are the things that Timothy is to flee from? Well, he's to flee from the things that Paul had mentioned back in verses 3 through 5 and verses 9 through 10. And Timothy is to flee from and to completely separate himself from everything and anything that describes, designates, or defines false teachers or false teachings and greed. And he is to flee from these things because in contrast to the false teachers, he, Timothy, is a man of God. Say, man of God. The second point was follow. Say, follow. And that's in verse 11, verse 11 being what to follow after. So Paul already said what to flee from, and now he says what to follow after. You run away from that, and you run after this. So Paul offers Timothy six Christian virtues that both men and women of God are to pursue, and they are to pursue... To, to follow and to chase after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The third point was fight. Say fight. Come on, say, say fight. Fight. Verse 12a, what to fight for? Fight the good fight, he says, of the faith. Listen, it's a good fight, right? But it doesn't mean it's an easy fight. And so what is, so what is Paul referring to when he says fight the good fight of faith? Well, he's referring to, listen now, the doctrines, the doctrines of the faith, the truth of God's word. Fight to defend God's word. Can someone say amen? Now remember, the Christian life is a blessing, but it's also a battle. Also a battle. And Paul is simply telling Timothy and all believers not to let up, not to relax. He's urging us not to become weary and not to become discouraged and not to give up on the fight. Fight for the truth. Defend the word of God. The fourth point was future. Say future. Verse 12b, what to hold on to. Take hold of, Paul says, the eternal life. And you see what encourages us in the battle is that we have eternal life. So we need to hold on to that. And Paul is commanding Timothy and all believers, every believer, to grasp the reality of eternal life. And Paul wants all believers to live in light of eternity. Timothy was called by God to eternal life, and all believers, say all believers, are called by God to eternal life, so we need to live that way and serve that way. We need to be future-minded, live with an, listen now, an eternal perspective, focus on the eternal. Why? Because that's what lasts forever. In other words, eternity matters. The fifth point was faithful. Say faithful. Verses 13 through 16, what to be faithful to. And Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, I'm charging you. Paul's saying, Timothy, I'm charging you, knowing God is fully present with you right now as I'm writing this to you. The ever-present God is the one who is in charge of 
all life, Paul's telling Timothy, and he's the giver and sustainer of life. And therefore, Timothy, you and all believers, Paul's saying, as well, as well, believers as well, have nothing to fear, so be strong and remain faithful because God is ever-present and God is in charge of your life. Amen? Then we see a parallel between the confession Timothy gave as a believer in Christ, in Christ giving his testimony, confessing himself as a Messiah and king before Pilate. And you see, Paul is encouraging Timothy to remain faithful to the end, even death, because Jesus was faithful to the end. Then Paul charges Timothy to keep this command, this is what he says, without spot or blame. In other words, to teach the truth properly. It is to be given without compromise and in its, in its fullness Fullness because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be protected and kept from anything that will stain it or bring reproach upon it. And Paul is simply exhorting Timothy and all of us believers, all of us believers, to remain faithful to, listen, our confession and to the command until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then closes with a doxology. He breaks out with the hymn, of praise. This now brings us to today's text. The title of today's message is Final Instructions. Everyone say that. More enthusiasm. Final instructions. Love it. Okay. In the text, in the text, Paul gives his final instructions to Timothy. Two points. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this give generously. Say that. Give generously. This is the proper handling of treasure or treasures. Verse 17, verse 17, now before I expound uh, the text, there's a few things I want to say. First of all, why, why is Paul returning back to the subject of money? I mean, didn't he already discuss this back in verses 5 through 10? Yes, he did, right? He discussed money back in those verses. But back in those verses, he spoke to those who desire or who aspire to be rich, to be wealthy. While here in today's text, he's speaking and instructing those who are already rich, who are already wealthy. And, and you see Ephesus, Ephesus was an extremely wealthy city. So some of the Ephesian church members were wealthy. So, so Paul is going to give Timothy some, some advice and some instruction on the responsibility that comes with wealth the responsibility that comes with riches. So, so I want to make it clear here, friends, listen now, that Paul is addressing Christians, Christians who are wealthy. Got it? See, got it. I also want to make it clear that it's not a sin to be rich, and it's not a sin to have nice things. Job, Abraham, and Solomon were all rich. So was Lydia and Philemon. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff as long as your wealth and your stuff doesn't have you. Right? Doesn't have you. Let me put it this way. With money and possessions, if you can't give it away, you don't own it, it owns you. Are you with me? You see, your money, your wealth, your possessions can be a tool or a trap. Got it? I also want to say this, that this text is one that us Christians here in America need to take to heart because in comparison with the rest of the world, we're wealthy. Are you guys with me? 
Do you know that more than a third of the world's population actually lives on $2 per day? See, most of us are well above world average income. And I want to say this. If, if you own a home, you're rich. If you own a car, you're rich. If you have enough food to eat, you're rich. If you have extra clothing or shoes in your closet, you're rich. If you got enough money to go out and eat occasionally, you're rich. If you have running water and if you flush the toilet this morning, you're rich. You're safe, say amen. My point is this. The text, the de- the text today, the text applies to every single believer. Because all of us have some connection to money. If you got it, say got it. So let's, let's now expound the text. Verse, verse 17, command those who are rich. Now I want to stop there, okay? This is a command, not a suggestion. or It's not a recommendation, but a command. Say command. A command to Timothy to command the rich. Now some pastors might push back on this command because they're afraid they might offend their wealthy church members, and as a result, they'll lose their offerings. Sadly, there are pastors who cater to big donors. And Paul's like, Timothy, you need to do this. It's a command. The wealthy members don't run the church. Amen? So command them. Command those who are rich in this present world. And I want to stop there and say present world. Paul's making a point that just because one is rich in this life doesn't mean one will be rich in the next. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. The word arrogant is a compound of two words that mean to think or or to cherish. It could also mean exalted thoughts. Exalted thoughts. The King James renders this as renders it as high-minded. And so the idea is riches can cause a person to think that they're better than others, that they're above others, that they're more valuable than than others. And some might even think that their riches make them more favorable or favored by God. Listen, arrogance, pride, is a deadly sin of all people. Do I have a witness? But it seems to be a constant danger with those who have riches. And you see, riches, money, if we're not careful, has an ability to increase pride and to decrease humility. Also to increase trust in self and to decrease trust in God. And also to cause foolish stewardship decisions and a lack of focus on eternity. Now you've heard me say this many times, money is a wonderful servant, but a lousy master. Amen? Let's read on. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so, what? Uncertain. I'm going to stop there. How many stories have we read about or heard about or watched a movie, right? A movie about someone who put all their hope in riches and lost it all. Right? Are riches uncertain? Just ask anyone who has invested in the stock market. In 1929, the stock market crashed. A hundred suicides and attempted suicides were reported in the New York Times at that time, including cases around the country and overseas. They put their hope 
in wealth. People were jumping off buildings. Investors were. Now, it's not easy for a rich person to trust in God. In fact, Jesus was asked by a rich young man about going to heaven. And Jesus ultimately put his finger on the man's wealth and told the young man that he needed to get rid of his money and give it to the poor. Well, that young man couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He, he could not let go of his money. And in Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 to 24, it reads like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, for those of you that don't know what the eye of a needle is, an eye of a needle was a small opening to allow a single person to come through after the city gates were closed for the night. You guys ready for the lesson? Put your, here's the lesson, don't trust in money. Amen? Say that. Don't trust in money. Write that down. I want you to write this verse down as well. And we covered this in our series out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You know, we know that saying, right, money talks, right? We know that saying, well, it's true, okay? It says goodbye. It says see ya, right? It flies away. In fact, if you, if you look at your dollar bill, if you have a dollar bill, if you look in the back, there's an eagle on it spreading its wings, ready to fly away. That's money. Money has wings and soon departs. Listen, the duration of our riches, and we got to get this and understand this, the duration of our riches is limited, and for one thing, friends, it's limited by our lifespan, which itself is uncertain, right? Another thing, riches are uncertain because they may de decrease or even dissolve due to a bad economy. And you can lose your money in a span of one day just like that. So Paul tells Timothy to command them to not, say not, put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Instead, let's read on what he tells them, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And you see, the certainty of temporary riches is nothing compared to the trustworthiness of the eternal living God. Because He, God, is the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's a good place to say amen. Come on, say amen, amen. Now, now please listen and get this. The word enjoyment there in the text doesn't mean self-indulgent living. Okay? Listen and get this. The reason everything may be enjoyed lies in the recognition that everything, say everything, including our wealth, is a gift, is the expression of God's gracious generosity. It is simply enjoying all that God gives us for His glory. For His glory. Amen? So listen, enjoy the gifts of life. Do. Enjoy them. But don't ever forget about the giver. Ready for the lesson here? We go, put our hope in God, not in money. Put our hope in God, not in money. Rather than banking on bucks, we need to put and fix our hope in God. Put, fix our hope in the giver rather than the gifts. Amen? Because he's a giver of, what, of all that you have. He's a giver. 
Amen? So let's put our hope in God, in God, in God, not in money or stuff. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Listen, God has planned, God has planned for each and every believer to do good works. That's his heart, that we as believer, believers would do good works. In Ephesians 2.10, good works are the evidence of saving faith. James 2.17, good works flow out of salvation. They don't obtain salvation, but flow out of salvation. If you're saved, you'll do good works. Amen? Not to be saved, but because you are saved. Got it? Now, now the rich have a, a particular responsibility in this regard because they have extra ability to do good that the poor don't have. L listen, Paul expected wealthy Christians, he expected wealthy Christians to use their influence to give back and to help others. And friends, for the Christian, money is never to be gained simply for the sake of having more money. It is always meant to bless, say bless, and help, say help others, and to support, listen now, the ministry. Amen? For the glory of God. And what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, rather than enjoying a reputation for having a lot of money, they should, listen now, cultivate a reputation for doing good, for being, in, for, for being rich in good deeds, a reputation, say reputation, for being open-handed, sharing with others generously what God has given them. And not just willing to share with others generously, but with a heart, say a heart, that does so willingly, and not just willingly, but joyfully. Amen? Joyfully. So question, all that's been said, question, what kind of reputation do you have? As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, what kind of reputation do you have? Do you have a reputation for doing good? For being rich in good deeds? Do you have a reputation for being open-handed, willing to share with others? Or do you have a reputation for being tight-fisted? Huh? You ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. True riches is found in giving, not in having. True riches is found in giving, not in having. And, and, and you've heard me say this many times, the remedy uh, to being free from greed and the remedy to being free from covetousness is generosity. You see, giving is God's way of guarding us against greed and trusting in uncertain riches. We need to practice generosity. If you're saying, say amen. You need to practice generosity. All right? We need to be givers. Amen? What God wants from us is an open hand, not a tight fist. Not a tight fist. And I said this two Sundays ago, when God blesses us, he blesses us for a reason. All right? Not to just keep it to ourselves. It's to, we, to be a blessing to others. He blesses you. He blesses me. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. Amen? He pours blessings into you so you can pour blessings into others. So be a giver. All right? Not a grumbler or a grabber. All right? Be a giver. Then Paul says why, I love this, why the rich believer or all believers should do good 
be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. This is why, look at verse 19. In this way, in what way? Well, in doing good, rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. In that way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a what firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, to lay up treasure, say that, means to live in such a way right now, now, that our future experience in heaven is enriched. Now, the idea of a firm foundation, say firm foundation, is not to be understood in an architectural way, but in a metaphorical way as something to build on for the future. And you see, the fact is that doing good, being generous, and willing to share will result in rewards in heaven. That's his point. Let's go back to the text again. So that they may take hold of the life, say the life, that is truly life. Say truly life. Now, now Paul is not, and you got to get this, Paul is not suggesting that these people are not saved, okay? He's not talking about eternal life here. Rather, that those who are generous givers enjoy life on a level that those who hoard it, okay, hoard their wealth, never experience. Let me put it this way. Generous Christians discover a quality of life that stingy Christians never know. All right, got it? So here's a lesson. Ready? Put your savings and security in the right place. Put your savings and security in the right place. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 19-21. Some of you guys know this by heart. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, here we go. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They say you can't take it with you because you can. Amen? You can. But you can send it up ahead. And you can lay treasures in heaven by doing what? Good things here on earth. Amen? Someone said this, diversify your present wealth, not just into various asset classes like stocks, bonds, IRAs, real estate, and precious metals, but into heavenly accounts. The interest and dividends are out of this world. Amen? We are to be kingdom investors. Got it? So Paul says, give generously. You're rich. You got money. Give generously. Amen? To help people and to further God's kingdom. Number two is guard zealously. Say that. Guard zealously. In other words, guard with, with great energy. Guard with great enthusiasm. Guard the treasures or the treasure of the faith. In other words, this is the proper handling of the word of God. So after Paul gives Timothy instruction about his pastoral responsibility to direct the wealthy believers away from pride, right? And trusting in riches, and instead to do good with the means God has given them. What Paul does now, Paul now gives Timothy instruction to another pastoral responsibility that is very high on the priority list. It's for the pastor 
for the pastor to keep careful guard over the truth of God's word and to set and, and the set of responsibilities that has been entrusted to the pastor. You see, Paul's concern has been for Timothy to help make some corrections in the church in Ephesus. And the thing that Paul seemed most concerned about was regarding what? Bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. In fact, Paul warns Timothy about bad doctrine in chapter 1. Remember that? Verses 3 through 4. In chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 16. And also in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And also right here in the text. Verse 20. Verse 20. Timothy, guard. In other words, keep what has been entrusted. The English Standard Version reads it like this. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. So Timothy, guard, keep what has been entrusted to your care. Now the word guard there in the text means to guard in the sense of protecting and watching over something so that it may be kept and preserved. Preserved. It suggests an intense monitoring, an intense guarding. Now I want you to follow me here. Timothy is to guard. Timothy is to keep safe and sound the unchanging word of God, the entirety of Christian doctrine. This is a listen, this is a trust, say trust, committed to Timothy, but not just to Timothy, but to all believers. Amen? The idea is to, listen now, to guard the truth of God's word, to guard it with our very lives. In the original Greek, the construction was used of the solemn obligation of having been entrusted with another person's possessions with the responsibility to keep it safe and return it to the owner in the same condition in which it was received. Get that? So how, do, so, how, so how to guard the truth? Well, let's read on. Turn away from, present tense, a continual turning away from. So turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Now it appears that these false teachers believe that they had some great wisdom, great wisdom in spiritual things. They, they claim to have a special Spiritual knowledge. They were known as the Gnostics. When in fact, their knowledge is not real knowledge at all. And Paul says, turn away from them. Have nothing, say nothing, to do with them. And he doesn't want Timothy, and he doesn't want any other Christians to be hanging around or even associating, associating with false teachers. Now I want to say this, okay? We also guard the truth by believing it, by obeying it. By studying it, by treasuring it, and not adding to it, and not subtracting from it. And unfortunately, and sadly, in some pulpits of America today, people are adding to the word and subtracting from it. Are you guys with me? To accommodate their lifestyle. Now, why should Timothy as well as all believers, us, avoid these false teachers and their false teachings. Well, look at verse 21a. Which some have professed and in, doing, and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Did you get that? These false teachers and their false teachings led some 
to stray away from the faith. And I want to say this. False teachings is one of Satan's primary weapons against the church. You guys ready for the lesson? Watch out for bad teaching. (laughs) Did you get that? Watch out for bad teaching. Friends, hey, listen now, listen now. We need to, listen, we need to pay close attention to anything or any teaching, for that matter, that you and I hear. And we need to recognize the danger of straying. We need to test what we hear. Test it. Test what we hear. Now, if you teach God's Word, if you're a teacher of God's Word, be very careful, listen now, that you don't get carried away with looking for some new thing to teach, okay, or some new hidden meaning in the Scripture. You guys with me? The best way to make sure you stay on track with your teaching is to simply teach through the Scripture. Stick to the text. It's called exegesis. And exegesis is what we do here at Cry Out. We are drawing from the text, okay, we're drawing from what the text is saying. Okay, not eisegesis. Eisegesis is reading what you want to read to read to it into the text. Okay, and not narcissus, because narcissus is making it all about you. Okay, so make sure if you're a teacher of the gospel that you are exegesis, right? Expounding on the word of God. So that your opinion's not involved in that. Amen. And I want to say this. Listen, church, Paul wanted Timothy to never forget, just as we are to never forget, that we should guard the word of God that has been committed and trusted to us and to stay away from anything, anything that takes us away from God's life-changing, God's life-transforming word. Do you remember what Paul said about the church back in chapter 3, verse 15? I'm going to read it to you. Paul says, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. He's not a dead God. He's a living God. Then he says this, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's talk about the church. The church is to stand out and to stand up for the truth of God's word. Can I get an Amen. The church is to be the place where God's truth is not only preached, but practiced. That it's lived out. Now, if you're saved, say amen. When people look at us, when they look at us, when when they look at this church, they should be able to see that we, the church, are pillars holding high the truth, elevating the truth, and that we, the church, are built on the foundation of the truth. We are called to hold forth and to stand firm on the truth in a day, an age, when people don't want truth. They don't want it. Get this, the church is to be the best advocate for the truth, both by proclamation and practice, not just through word, but through deed. That we say we love Jesus and we say we love his word, but we live it out in our lives. Amen? We're almost done here. Verse 21b, as he wraps this up, Paul says, grace be with you. Get that? 
I love the fact that Paul didn't end his message with a statement on false teachers. Instead, he ended it with a final emphasis on God's grace. Listen, Paul wanted Timothy and the church and the church to remember that they always have God's grace because God's grace is always, say always, sufficient. See, God's grace is able to take any individual believer or the church and make it become a pillar in support of the truth because His grace, God's grace, is always sufficient for every task. So as I wrap this up, we need to be, listen now, if you're safe, say amen. We need to be good stewards of wealth and good stewards of God's word. Of wealth and word. And to be, get this now, I'm going to close right now, and to be good stewards of wealth and to be good stewards of God's word, we must rely on God's grace. Amen? And that should be our life. That every minute, every second of our life, we are trusting God. Amen? And relying on His grace. Let's all stand. Father, we thank You.